Hi, this is Regeline Sabat, also known as Gigi. You're listening to Walk With Me Podcast. My guest today is Tiffany Barnes. Tiffany Barnes is familiar with overcoming hardships after enduring physical, mental, and sexual abuse. Tiffany was emancipated at the age of 15. At the time, she was only the second case in the state of Utah for a child of that age to become legally emancipated while working three jobs to support herself through high school. Tiffany became a sterling scholar, graduating top of her class, an athlete and founder of SHARE, that's S-H-A-R-E, an advocacy group for students by students who had experienced abuse. Welcome to the show, Tiffany. Thank you so much for having me. I'm so thrilled to be here. You're welcome and it's an honor to have you here today. Now, why don't you start off by telling us about you and where you are from? So I'm here in lovely Salt Lake City, Utah, uh, born and raised in Utah, as a matter of fact, within the vicinity of Salt Lake, I would say. And, um, you know, just kind of, as you mentioned, been through some tough stuff growing up and, you know, a lot of people have. But as far as my story goes, I had suffered all forms of abuse before the age of 13 years old. So as you had mentioned, physical, sexual, emotional, you name it. And just uh, really had a lot of challenges that I had to overcome at a very young age. And as a result, I decided to emancipate myself from my family at 15 years old and became the second case in the state of Utah to become a legally emancipated minor. So I could check myself in and out of school. I was my own legal guardian at 15 years old, um, paying rent, uh, living in a basement apartment and still doing the school thing. So I know quite a few things about abuse and that's what my passion is today. You know, um, growing up, I had a lot of things that um, kind of led me to a, a suicidal position in life and uh, felt if the woman who brought me on this planet, meaning my mother, didn't want me, what was the point of being here? And so when I was 13 years old, I made several attempts to end my life. Um, and I was also very anorexic and just not in the right mind frame, if you will, because of what had taken place. And, and kind of a long story short there to give you a background, <clears throat> excuse me, my mother had um, kind of asked what was going on be between myself and my stepfather. She had noticed that uh, something was off, which was very weird for my mom to notice because my mom is a drug addict and has been a drug addict most of my life. So she never really took any stock in what was going on in my world. So one day when she confronted me and said, hey, you know, what's going on between you and Robert, who is my stepfather at the time, I, I pretty much denied everything. And the reason I did that is my stepfather threatened my life. You know, he said, if you say anything to anybody about the sexual abuse that's going on, I will kill you. And I believed him. You know, he was a very intimidating man. He was somebody who had a very bad temper. Um, oftentimes I would see my mom get hauled away in an ambulance when they would fight. So when you're 13 years old, and a grown adult who's very intimidating to you threatens your life and says, you be quiet or else, you know, that's what you do. Well, that's what I did anyways. And so um, when my mom finally, you know, came forward and had caught, you know, kind of caught on on what was going on and confronted me, I thought, OK, well, I've got this one side that's saying, if you say anything, I'll kill you, which was my stepfather's voice in my head. And then I had this other voice that was like, well, you know, mom's never really cared much about you. So maybe this one time you should tell her if she's being so, you know, persistent about asking what's going on. And, and I did, I told her, I told her about the abuse and she calls him home from work. And we have this family meeting, if you will, in the kitchen. And he denied everything. 
and essentially gave my mother an ultimatum. And that ultimatum was that she had to choose between me or him. And she did not even hesitate, you know, three seconds until she turned to me and said, you have until tomorrow to get the bleep out of my house. So here I was at 13 years old telling a trusted adult or what I, who I thought was a trusted adult about the abuse. And the result was I'm 13 years old in the eighth grade and now going to be homeless. And so um, that's when I went into that downward spiral of, you know, anorexia and suicide and things like that. Um, my mom had a yard sale, sold all of my stuff right in front of me. Um, that was I, I, I mentioned that a lot when I tell my story because it was a very devastating moment in my life, you know, to be sitting there watching your mom selling your stuff and then just kind of throwing you out. Um, you know, I have a book I'm working on called The Throwaway Girl, and the reason I titled that is that's what I felt like to my parents. I felt like I was disposable. I felt like I was a piece of garbage or I was, you know, something that was easily tossed, to, you know, to the wayside. And so, um, you know, it took me a couple years to kind of overcome some of these demons that I was facing as a result and ended up pursuing the, the emancipation. I love it. Now tell us more about your advocacy group, SHARE, S-H-A-R-E. Awesome. Yeah, so I started that in high school, uh, right around the 15, 16 years old mark. And what happened was um, because I was emancipated, I could check myself in and out of school, which most kids thought was the, the coolest thing. You know, I, were, I remember distinctly I was going into one of my classes Miss Linares, my Spanish uh, class, and I was writing a note as I was literally walking in the door. You know, please excuse Tiffany Barnes for being tardy. Thank you, Tiffany Barnes. So I was writing my own parental notes. And uh, again, that was because I was my own legal guardian. And kids would say, wait a second, I don't get to write my own notes, you know, and, and my parents have to excuse me from school. And so they would inquire why I was writing my own notes and why I didn't have parents at home. And when kids would come to me, I would share with them that I was emancipated and a lot of them didn't know what that was, just as I didn't when I initially pursued it and um, asked me why. And so I told them that I was abused and you know all of these things. And, and it was kind of like, I call it a Tiffany epiphany where that light bulb went off of, this is the reason why you didn't take your life is because I started to see kids coming out of the woodwork sharing their stories of abuse with me and saying, you know, I've never said anything to anybody, but I know someone who's being abused or I myself am being abused. And so um, I started an advocacy group, which was just a support group uh, called SHARE. And at the time, back in 1998, when I started this, it stood for Students Helping the Abused React and Empower. And that's what we did is we taught each other how to react in a positive way to be resilient and not turn to drugs or teenage pregnancy or gangs, which was very prevalent in my high school. And instead, we learned to be resilient from the abuse and empowered each other to do the same so that we could stay on that straight and narrow path and uh, be empowering, you know, and kind of reverse that cycle. Well, it was just a group of 10 of us. And there was somebody in this group that told a neighboring high school what we were doing, told one of their friends, I guess. And they said, well, I want to start a group like that here where I go to school. And then it just kind of steamrolled into this national 501c3 nonprofit uh, that it stands uh, today. Now, the acronym has changed. 
because uh, I guess we're all students in life, so I could have kept the students helping the abused, but I changed it to sharing hope for the abused through resilience and empowerment. I love it. Now tell us more about your experience being the torchbearer for the 2002 Olympics. Well, I must say it is the coolest thing I've ever done in my entire life. Uh, I still have the torch. It's actually in, uh, I have a podcast of my own and it's in my podcast room, but the thing that's so cool about it is it's such a once in a lifetime experience. And I was able to do it because somebody had nominated me. Um, there was some sort of a contest or I don't know, you know, kind of how the workings of it went, but uh, the 2002 winter Olympics had the theme light the flame within. And somebody had inspired said that I had inspired them to light their flame within and wanted me to be a torchbearer. And so I get this letter in the mail asking if I would do so. And I got to run, it's kind of crazy. I ran in front of my high school two years after I graduated um, in front of the Olympic speed skating oval where Apono Ono did all of, Apollo Ono did all of those um, you know, races. And it was very, it was kind of like my moment of arrival. And the reason I say that is I was bullied a lot in high school um, because of my special circumstance and things like that. And I had teachers that never thought I was gonna amount to anything. And so here we are two years after graduation, and I had some of those very same faces and people in that crowd smiling, clapping, and cheering me on, as if they were so proud to know me. And I had this little moment uh, of slow motion, if you will, where I told myself, you have arrived, and you're going to be okay. And uh, when I give a lot of talks, I talk a lot about us having a flame inside, right? Some of us have just a little spark, like when I wanted to give up on my life all of those times. And sometimes it's a roaring, raging fire when we have so much passion about something. But uh, my whole reason for being on the planet is to help feed other people's flames, because I think that's what life is all about. Amen. That's absolutely correct. Now, you mentioned uh, suicide. Yes. Correct. So it sounds like you've had your fair share of trials and tribulations there. When did you decide, okay, I'm not going to do it. I'm going to live. So there was actually a morning I woke up when we go back to that devil and, you know, angel situation on each shoulder. Um, I had a moment where I woke up, woke up and I just said, I don't want to be here. You know, again, if the person who brought me life, my mother doesn't want me, what's the point of being here? And I had a lot of limiting beliefs um, that I was ugly and I was disgusting and I never wanted to look in the mirror and, you know, just the worst possible things you can think about yourself. And then I had this other angel on this side that said, yeah, but if you take your life, you're letting this overcome you and defeat you. And this, this is not what's meant to be. And I kind of listened to that voice and I picked up the phone and I called one of my very dear friends that I had to leave, you know, when I was kicked out of my home and said, her name was Amy. And I was like, Amy, this is where I'm at. This is what I'm about to do. These are my thoughts. And she's like, just please let me talk to my parents and promise me you'll be there when I call back. And she was kind of my, my lifeline, if you will. And it, you know, that person I reached out to, and then I started to seek help with a social worker beyond that once she had talked to her parents um, and her parents actually let me live with her for a little under a year while I was working with my social worker and going through that emancipation process. I love it. Now tell us more about your experience as a realtor and a real estate investor. 
Yeah, I got into real estate really young. I went to school, ended up going to school on a full ride scholarship for leadership and academics at the University of Utah. So, you know, I had it made. I finally, you know, got into college, had full ride. And I was waitressing at a place that a guy kept coming in all the time. He was a real estate investor. And I'd always wanted to own real estate, not just because it was the American dream, but because my parents never owned it and a lot of my family never did. And so I thought that was like the ultimate goal, right? To have a piece of property or house for, for yourself. And I got talking to him one day and I was like, hey, how can I get into real estate? And he's like, well, I can show you. I'm like, sweet, this is awesome. But he wanted to charge me $10,000 and I didn't have $10,000. I barely had money to like keep the lights on and put some food in the belly. So I got discouraged, um, ended up, making a proposal to him that I would, you know, extend my time because time is money and maybe it's not $10,000 worth of money, but I would be willing to help him to do whatever he, he didn't want to do, you know, whether it was dropping off mail or dry cleaning or, you know, just all the little things he didn't want to do kind of an assistant, I guess you could say. And I did that for free for many months and he showed me the ropes of how to get into real estate investing and, you know, took a chance on me and I started making, you know, 3000, 4000, which to me was a ton of money at the time. And it started to kind of take me away from my schooling and my grades because I was focused on the money over here and not so much focused on the, the grades in the school over here. And so I had to have a come to Jesus with myself because I was in jeopardy of losing my scholarship. And I had to say, OK, do I focus on real estate and go down that path? Or do I focus on getting my degree in communications and, and, you know, go down that path? And I decided to drop out of college on a full ride scholarship to pursue real estate. I'm not telling everybody out there to drop out of college and go do real estate. Um, but I took a chance on me and I knew that there was no looking back. So kind of a long story short, I'm 38 years old now and I've been doing real estate since I was 21. So 17 years, became a millionaire at a very young age. And, uh, I've been in it ever since. So very powerful. Now tell us more about your podcast. Speak out loud. Yeah, it's actually called speak loud podcast. And the reason I chose speak loud is because so my podcast, the premise is I interview people who have been through abuse, uh, but have stories of triumph and hope, you know, I don't want to focus necessarily on the abuse itself, but how people have used their past as a stepping stone, rather than a crutch. And so, um, you know, those people who, who decide to tune in, it's, it's, you know, kind of talking about the abuse, but we focus more on how did you overcome it and how are you now so triumphant and hopeful? And I also have the ability um, and have had many people come on that are trauma counselors, you know, sharing their expertise on how trauma affects the brain and why people are so um, affected by trauma, whether it's, you know, complex PTSD or just PTSD itself or anxiety and several things like that. So um, I just want to speak loud that abuse is an epi epidemic in this world. And it's something that we need to stop, you know, kind of turning a blind eye to and start to reverse the cycle of abuse. Very powerful. Now tell us more about your motto. It's the start that stops you. Yes, I need to get that trademarked, actually, because I keep sharing that. Um, so I, I just believe that anything in life, any obstacle, you know, anything you want to pursue, any passion, it always starts with just that one step. 
And oftentimes people don't get to that first step because they hem and haw too much in their brain, right? The what if, the analysis paralysis. And so that's why I say it's the start that stops you, whether it's the start by saying, hey, I'm being abused and vocalizing it and admitting it to someone else to start that path of healing and overcoming. Or maybe it's, I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur, but I'm deathly afraid to have my own business. Well, it's that first step, right? That that initial step into entrepreneurship and then seeing, oh, okay, that wasn't so bad. I think I can take step number two and number three. And then you start to build a momentum. So I always say the, the beginning of anything is the hardest part. But once you start, you're going to be on a roll. So it's the start that stops you. I love it. Now, tell us more about some of the projects that you're currently working on. So right now we are doing a Christmas project for a foster family for my nonprofit. I'm very passionate about helping kids who are in foster care. I was able to dodge the bullet, so to speak, in my mind is what I call it, is dodging a bullet um, by not having to go into foster care. You know, I went to 23 different elementary schools growing up. And so I didn't want the back and forth and, you know, being a kid's hard enough let alone having to live with a strange family, meaning strange because you don't know who they are and, you know, having to adapt to the way they live. And so um, every year I try to pick a family that really is in need. And so this year with Cher, uh, we were able to sponsor a family for Thanksgiving and now we're sponsoring a family for Christmas. So um, just, just trying to do my part in helping people realize they can overcome. Absolutely amazing. Now, was there a time in your life journey where you experienced an aha moment? Uh, yeah, my Tiffany epiphany was one where I was standing there in the hallways of Kearns High School where I went to school and said, hey, this is the reason you didn't take your life, as well as that moment, you know, when I ran the torch and said, you know, hey, I have arrived. But, um, you know, I, even now to this day at 38 years old, I'm a work in progress. You know, it's not always like you flip a switch and now everything's better. Um, I think sometimes I have these aha moments of you know, I, I already have what it takes and I've already got that flame inside, so to speak. And so, you know, not to let self-doubt creep in, you know, I'm only human just as everyone else. And, and to just keep um, that flame going and that fire inside really bright. I love it. Shine it bright. <laughs> now tell yeah. us more about what gives you happiness in your life. So number one is I love my dogs. I'm not a mom, but I did raise my uh, some of my siblings once I was older and got them out of foster care. So I have two fur babies. And uh, I always say I am their emotional support human. If they're not with, they're literally sitting right here next to me. So my dogs <laughs> bring me great joy and satisfaction. Um, but also I'm a cyclist and I picked up cycling about nine years ago, eight or nine years ago to lose weight. Uh, I have a condition called PCOS, polycystic ovarian syndrome, and I gained weight like 40 pounds. It feels like overnight. And uh, I thought, okay, I don't want to, I always modeled when I was younger and was very skinny and you know, it can play a part in your psyche when you, you start to gain weight. And so I bought a bike just to try to lose some weight, could barely go a mile without like, <gasps> like I was so out of shape. And um, now I do 100 mile bike races that take me like eight hours, you know, in the saddle. So um, it's very, very therapeutic for me. I always say cycling is my religion because the more I'm in cycling and the more I'm on my bike, it's kind of like the problems go away as the miles go by, if that makes sense. 
Yes, ma'am. It does make sense. Thank you for sharing that with us. Now, what yeah. is your advice to the audience for walking with purpose and living a life of happiness? I would say just to find whatever it is your passion is and go with it. I've been studying a lot about passion this year. Passion and purpose has kind of been my two words for, you know, 2020. And, you know, some people, I, I also love the quote, you know, be the change you wish to see in this world by Gandhi. There's a lot of people that see, you know, things in the world they don't like. You know, for me, it was abuse. I don't like that abuse is an epidemic. And they say, well, I'm one person. There's nothing I can do to make a difference. And I say, yes, you can. You know, even though you're one person, you can largely affect many lives. You know, as they say, when you throw a stone in water, it causes a ripple effect. So I would challenge any of your audience members or anybody listening right now to realize you know, you can change the world by being just one person. Amen. I love it. Now, thank you so much for being a guest on Walk With Me podcast, Tiffany. I appreciate you. Where can the audience find you? So social media, if you look me up on Instagram, uh, my main focus as far as real estate nowadays is Airbnbs. I show people how to set their homes up in a successful way for an Airbnb. So you can find me at, at Lady Airbnb. That's Instagram. And then if you wanted to find me on Facebook, just find me Miss Tiffany Barnes. So M-I-S-S Tiffany Barnes, like it says on the bottom of the screen there underneath me. And also I have a website for Share if they want to know more about Share. Um, actually, you've got levelupwealthacademy.com right there. That's my uh, website for my real estate stuff. I do consulting and I'm a realtor and things like that. But Share is sharethemovement.org. So sharethemovement.org. Amazing. Ladies and gentlemen, make sure to check out Tiffany at levelupwealthacademy.com and her social media handles as well. And Tiffany, again, thank you so much for being a guest on Walk With Me podcast. You have a blessed thank day. Thank you. You too. Awesome.